Hi, friends. Thank you for joining us again on Food for Thought. My name is Sunil Chandy, Father Chandy from Christ Episcopal Church, and this is a ministry out of Christ Episcopal Church. Thank you for joining us on this call. This is live today. Not call, but I'm on the show, and, and it is live today, and so we thank you for being with us. And so, um, and if you are here connecting with us, we hope that you will uh, let us know that you're here. Tell us that you're watching today. Of course, we have our continuing guest, uh, Sharon Yonkin, who is our therapist who, uh, who is back in Rhode Island. And she'll be talking with us about um, many different things about reintegration, I, I think, and also about the neurology and neuroscience around this, this particular time period that that all the things that she's learned, which is going to be many and wonderful and 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 good things to to engage in. Um, if you are here again, please tell us that you're here. Tell us, uh, connect with us. Uh, you know, one of the things that I that I've that I've a phrase that I that is coming up uh, uh, in my conversations with people who are uh, engaging in uh, this type of ministry, online ministry, is not just content creation, but also connection. So it's not just con uh, uh, creating this wonderful content, but how are we connecting with you? How are, how are you engaging in ministry? How do you find hope and inspiration? How do you find uh, your spirit nurtured through this ministry? And this is why it's so important for you to tell us and connect with us to tell us, uh, to kind of help us be aware of how we could continue to help you find your connection with God and neighbor. Um, as, as So today, again, uh, our guest is Sharon, and uh, Sharon is coming back from Fl uh, Florida, and she's back in the Rhode Island area, and I'm just so pleased. And so, Ben, please bring Sharon on board. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Father Sunil, I'm back in the big R.I. <laughs> I love it, the big R.I. Yes. Uh, I am just so glad that you and Patrick are back. I hope that um, you're doing well. Everything yes. is good. Aren't we? Didn't wasn't there like the biggest little state in the union? Wasn't that one of our things at one point? I'm back in the biggest little state in the union. I know, I know, and everything you know in Rhode Island. It's so funny though, because I I come originally. I lived most of my life in New Jersey, and and New Jersey, you know. Uh, driving 45 minutes is, is not unusual at all for for like a one-way trip and uh but in Rhode Island uh even driving 45 minutes away is it's kind of like and and everyone jokes about it here but you have to take an overnight bag you know uh you stay in a hotel you or something like that uh and and I'm feeling that sometimes I feel that way uh but it's okay <laughs> You need to drive up and down the coast a few times to yeah. break yourself out of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's been, that's been, so coming back, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do along, I'm so excited. I got myself a passport to our national parks. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What, do you yeah. have to get a passport to national parks? Well, what you can do is you can get yourself a little, I always loved passports. I, I love to travel and I always love getting my passport stamped. Um, unfortunately, I, I have not traveled as much as I would have liked to until later in life, but now I'm really enjoying it. But you can get a book that looks kind of like a passport and it has all of the different national parks listed in it that you can read about. And so now when I travel back and forth, I'm going to try to plan to stop off and visit these 
national parks, which are often historical too. Mm. So this time we went to, um, we went to, well, we went to the Biltmore House. That's not a national park. That's a Nashville. We went to uh, Monticello and we went to uh, Harper's Ferry, um, which is fascinating, the history there. And we were going to try to go to Gettysburg, but we had a battery trouble with our car. <laughs> so that didn't yeah. work out. Well, I think I think this is a great idea, and 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 again, uh, you know, the the more wisdom that you give us about all that you do as you connect in the world, the better for us. I mean, today I just we just saw a comment from Polly Janata, who I know uh, from my first ministry out in uh, by myself. I was uh, I was a vicar at uh, at Trinity Church of Vineland, New Jersey, and. Polly was the treasurer and then eventually uh, a member of, was a vestry member and, and the treasurer there. And she's just amazing. And she's connecting with us. And so whatever wisdom you bring, uh, Sharon, I think it's going to be informative for many people. Yeah, great, great. Well, and I think that's part of it. You know, you and I have been talking about, um, yes, and your comment too about connecting when I start a session with clients, I always have a set an agenda because I, I think it's important for, for them to think about what they want to, to work on and what they want to talk about. And so it is important for us to, any, any feedback is appreciated, any way that you can help us set the agenda because we're flexible, you know, we can, we can research and talk about a lot of different things here. So, I welcome any uh, any requests, any feedback. It's always helpful. I view it, you know, we're a team. And the more that we can be interactive and work as a team, the better, I think, uh, the more powerful something like this can be. So. Yeah, I definitely think so, too, especially like this idea about, you know, where there's a lot of people who create content out there, but how to make that content, uh, uh, you know, important for us uh, and relevant to our experience, you know? And, um, and the only way to do that is, is if, if we connect with people to see how it lands and see how, where they are. And, and it's the work of theology that we're doing as we engage in this connection, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So one of the things in terms of trying to connect with folks too, um, what you and I have been talking about different ways to cope during the pandemic. And I think one of those ways, you know, national parks, for instance, is a great way. It's outdoors. It's, we, we have so much history out there. Um, so there's a lot of the world to explore that can be informational, distracting, therapeutic, connecting with nature, connecting, learning. So, but I know the topic we were gonna talk about specifically today. So another exciting thing recently, Oh, I guess it was about two or three weeks ago. I had the busiest week ever because during the day I was seeing my clients and in the evenings I was attending a conference and online and the conference was called Compassion and Therapy. Mm. And you would think that that would be a normal part of therapy, <laughs> right? But um, ideally it is. But this was a fascinating conference there were over, I think about 25 presenters um, talking about so many different fascinating topics that I will be bringing to our audience um, over the next few months. 
But you know, you both you and I are very interested in neuroscience. So today we're going to dedicate to neuroscience, but down the road, um, there were some interesting things on how we can learn from other cultures in terms of how to cope. Um, so there were lots of, lots of, uh, I think also, you know, just as an aside, one of the, he was a Native American clinical psychologist was talking about his community. And he mentioned that the word psychology the definition is the study of the soul. Mm. Yeah, the psyche. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of times we kind of forget that piece. You know, we can learn techniques and we can learn skills and we can learn all these things. There's also very much a soul kind of component to emotional well-being. So what I like, what I think is happening, which is so fascinating, I think, is that a lot of these ancient practices like meditation and compassion, we now are um, showing the effectiveness of these things with neuroscience. And 20 years ago, to be honest, if I had come across self-compassion, mindful self-compassion, I don't know that I would have been so gung-ho to share it with clients. But now we've been researching it we have over a thousand studies on self-compassion. We have neuroscience, um, brain scans, and now there's a lot of evidence to support these ancient practices and how they're beneficial for our emo emotional well-being. So on that note, one of the presenters, Richard Davidson, he is, he is sort of um, one of the original pioneers for neuroscience and compassion. And he talked about, it was an interesting concept for me as as a therapist, and I think this ties into what some of us may be experiencing in terms of the news and seeing everything online and about world events, about the pandemic. But he talked about the idea of empathy versus compassion. Mm -hmm. And have you heard of the term compassion fatigue? Yes, I've heard it, uh, but I'm not sure what does that mean exactly. I mean, I tell me. Yeah, essentially, in my profession, the term compa compassion fatigue is basically when people become burned out because they are just, when you think about it, um, someone like myself, I'm in the business of suffering. I'm hearing all day long people's, a lot of people's moments of suffering. Um, and certainly, I think what makes, what uh, it made sense to me that there's a difference between empathy and compassion, because I think if I were to just show empathy, we know from the neuroscience too, that my mirror neurons are picking up on yours. So if I'm just trying to feel your pain, so to speak, and stay in that space, the parts of my brain, your pain, and that lights up those areas of your brain, those same parts of my brain are going to light up. I am going to literally feel the same pain that you're feeling. I know. <laughs> oh, I know the feeling. Right. I know the feeling. Right? Yeah. yeah. And imagine all day long feeling people's deepest pain. Um, but I think that sometimes what we do when we watch the news, and we if we watch it from a place of, empathy rather than compassion, that's where I think we risk falling prey to to some of those things we talked about, you know, when you're watching about what's going on in the Ukraine or with a pandemic, if we're reading these things over and over and, and getting pulled into feeling the pain, 
and not doing it from a place of compassion, we're, we're risking, I think, our own emotional well-being. So I think there one of the strategies was to kind of not watch it. Um, but it's interesting because, let me see. Uh, 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 Sharon, just a quick thing. I, that's interesting. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out the difference between empathy yeah. and compassion. I, I thought there was, in my mind, I always thought that there was something similar. So empathy is not only, so empathy is walking with a person, feeling their pain, engaging, and and. And I could I understand exactly what that feels like because whenever I'm in a situation where I'm in a pastoral situation, I find myself, you know, walking alongside the person in my psyche, in my my uh, my mind, and feeling trying to un understanding them so much that I could I almost walk in the same shoe as they do, and it is. It's it's so hard because all of a sudden I sometimes the anger comes up the 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 grief comes up pain all I feel that all I feel all of that yeah uh, what's that it's different than compassion right which is kind of almost like as if you're looking from outside in and understanding yeah. the feeling well so here what how Dr Davidson defines it. Um, empathy is the experience, experiencing the emotions of another person. And when we do that, it activates a network in our brain that's very similar to the network of pain itself, as I was just saying. Um, but compassion is totally different. It's um, when we listen, we're listening with the intention of trying to help to relieve the suffering. And we're meditating on compassion. When we are meditating on compassion, like, for sometimes it's it may be a, a meditative kind of internal thing like compassion for me, compassion for you as you're listening. When we when we when we are approaching a situation, um, we actually are activating a part of the brain that's connected to movement as well as empathy. Empathy itself, there's no movement, there's no action. It's just sort of sitting in the pain. Compassion. Um, we're preparing ourselves to act to help to alleviate suffering. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So, so like empathy is like all right. So, for me, uh, what I, it just it kind of feels like um, it feels like. Uh, but it's like you're you're watching a movie, right? A, a comedy, say a, a slapstick comedy, and all of a sudden uh, a guy, uh, you know, falls on a log. And then all of a sudden you feel the pain of him falling on the log. Almost. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so that's kind of like an empathetic, you feel that pain almost. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you understand it, you feel it, you could, and, but then compassion is you understand the feeling of the pain, but you're also, there's also a part of you that wants to knows is almost prescriptive to help them. Yeah. Right? right. So it's not just one lingering in the midst of it, but also yes. looking at ways almost to differentiate uh, objectivity uh, outside of them, that experience to see what is it that you could do to help. Right. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Yes. Yes. It's connected to the action component. Um, and these, and these, these uh, differences in how we approach something activate a different network in our brain. And so we don't, I think we were just being empathetic. We can kind of feel helpless. Yeah. Right. And versus when we're being compassionate, 
we're feeling empathy, certainly we're validating, we're doing the deep listening and we're also looking for, you know, it might even be um, saying a prayer for the person as you're listening or as you're being empathic and, and, and also being aware of yourself too, like a compassion for me, compassion for you. So having compassion for both folks as you're engaged in this moment. Um, so he, when they, um, when Dr. Davidson scanned the brains of contemplatives who'd done meditation for many years, he scanned and he found different, different areas of the brain would light up depending on whether or not they were showing empathy versus whether or not they were practicing compassion. So in, in, um, with meditation, there are very specific exercises that folks do exercise when they are, when they are practicing compassion. Um, very similar to prayer, really. It's a form of a prayer in some ways, praying for yourself, praying for the other, hoping for, for, um, for uh, a relief of, of pain and suffering. Um, so, um, so an interesting study they found, Dr. Davidson found that you can see changes very quickly when people practice compassion. He did a randomized study just by by practicing compassion, um, which would be similar to, I think, again, saying certain prayers or uh, mantras, if you will, 30 minutes a day. After two weeks, they found changes in the brain where when folks were practicing this uh, type of compassionate kind of prayer or thinking, that they were connecting to a circuit in the brain that was connected to more positive emotion. So, um, and this is important in terms of, uh, again, that more positive emotion and also an area of the brain that's connected to motivated action. Um, and, okay. So, and then he talked about four key pillars. I thought this is interesting for wellness. And I agree with this. Four key pillars. One is first awareness. We have to have awareness. You and I have been talking a lot about being mindful, being aware being aware of what we're thinking, we're feeling, um, what's going on internally, externally. The second is connection. To be, this was a big theme throughout the whole conference and it, it overlaps, I think, a lot with what you and I have talked about, but connection to healthy social relationships. Um, we need them. We need now more than ever. And I think that's something that we, we've, in this culture, we've become very individualistic. And that's one of the things we can learn from other cultures that I'll talk about more in depth and, you know, next time we talk. But we really have suffer from disconnection and the power of the group and the power of social connection cannot be understated. So important. The third is to have insight or to investigate ourselves, to be willing to look at ourselves, um, to be willing to work on an internal narrative, because as you and I have talked about, we form beliefs oftentimes that may, from the perspective of a child, that may not be so accurate. A lot of our beliefs were formed earlier in life. And as a child, we don't have the full full uh, perspective of life. We, we, uh, we're not able to see things as clearly as when we're an adult. It's very important to take a step back and look at our beliefs that are guiding us and whether or not we want to continue to hold on to those beliefs. And then the fourth piece is purpose. What was that again? Purpose. Purpose, that's right. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. 
meaning. And we've talked a lot about meaning too. So, you know, awareness, social relationships and connection, being willing to look at yourself with insight and um, finding a sense of purpose. So. Yeah, no. I, I think this is, that's really interesting. Uh, and all of this is how you handle empathy versus compassion. Yes, it's tied to, you know, and, and in terms of brain health and what, when we look at the practices that we exercise, what is going to result in emotional well-being and in terms of what he's studied, what Dr. Davidson has studied in, in terms of neuroscience, what lights up the neural networks in our brain that are connected to emotional well-being, having awareness, having social connections, having a sense of purpose, being willing to take, you know, we are, we are advanced in that we have the capability to take a step back and look at our beliefs. And we can't, we don't have to be held prisoner of them. Oftentimes people are afraid to look inside. They're afraid to question. They're afraid to have that kind of awareness. And at first it's a little bit painful, but I think when you push through, without a doubt, you end up discovering things that you wouldn't have discovered that are really helpful in a key part of your healing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, at the very beginning, you talked about compassion fatigue. Yes. And I, I'm wondering if, um, if it's, I no, and I'm not sure what the, the, exact def definition of compassion fatigue might be, but it sounds more like, um, you know, the, the idea of um, that empathy fatigue. Yes, that's exactly what Dr. Davidson said. You took the words right out of my mouth. Dr. Okay. Davidson said, it's really should be called empathy fatigue. Yeah, yeah. It's not compassion fatigue. Yeah. Compassion because is not just doing in someone's suffering. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'll tell you, um, uh, wow, this is, it's, you always bring some insight for me. It's so wonderful uh, because uh, I know that at times that I could, when I'm in that situation where I'm walking with somebody and, you know, it's, there, there's two ways I could, I, I could, uh, I could handle it. I, I notice about myself and I'm, I'm learning to be more aware of it, is that one, I become like the, sometimes the, the, the person who has all the answers, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and that hasn't always been helpful to me. You know, right. like, I know what's right for you, right? Right, and, I totally get that. <laughs> and my wife reminds me about that all the time where she tells me something, right? And then she says, look, and then I go, okay, well, you should be doing this, this, and this, and this, right? And then she goes, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> right. I want you to just, I want you rather to just walk with me. Mm -hmm. Walk, let me explain myself. Let me talk with you about what I'm going through. And I want you just to listen. And so, and, and sometimes, and that's, that's, I'm, I've learned with my wife and also with my personal conversations and pastoral conversations that sometimes just staying with a person, helping them explain helps them. And then, but the problem is sometimes uh, that all those feelings well up within me, right? And, and I can't, and uh, then it's hard to process them for myself. Uh, mm -hmm. And you're, you're right. Every time 
what we, I noticed this now that you mentioned it, when we end up in prayer at the end of the time, at the end of the session, I pretty much articulate what the feelings are of what we were, what we were, what we, the conversation that we were engaging. And then I say, I offer it up to God to help us make sense out of it. Mm. And, and there's always a relief after that for me. Mm. And I think for the people that I pray with, that we pray together, I think sometimes people don't know how to articulate some of those emotions. And then when they see that someone else gets it or sees or understands at least a part of it, it, it in itself, that could be therapeutic, I, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's action, right? Validation is action. Yeah. Deep listening, deep listening and validating and reflecting back. That's action. You're not just sitting there just taking it in and just feeling kind of hopeless with the person. You know, yeah. you are... You're listening. You have to absolutely do the, the deep listening first. Absolutely. But I think a lot of times, a lot of times good work is doing a lot of deep listening and then um, reflecting back. And then when you do that, I think it helps to shift a person toward doing problem solving frequently. And then they start to come up with solutions on their own or, you know, or then you get, or then you're involved in kind of like helping them brainstorm and, um, now, sometimes it's a matter of just accepting reality as it is. There's not really any problem solving to be done. And that's tough. And I think that, but however, there is still something you can do internally is like in your case, externally too, as a, as a minister, you can actually offer prayer, which is an action, right? Of helping to attempt to uh, alleviate suffering or help the person accept things uh, that in a spiritual kind of way. Yeah. And, and sometimes it also reframes the, uh, the event. I mean, I was talking to a, a young student the other day and, 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 uh, and she was going through this real struggle with, uh, with her, you know, doing uh, for her exams and everything. And, and, you know, she's, she's a little bit of a, uh, on the teenage side. Right. And so there's, there's kind of like this black and white type of situation where, you know, you, she, you know, she does, she didn't do well on a quiz. And then all of a sudden, uh, she thinks that she's ruined her the rest of her life. You know, uh, she can't uh, make it into the program that she wants to, and then she can't have the dream. And it, there's no complex, there's no nuance, it's always black and white. And so when we, so in that conversation, uh, it, we ended, ended up in in prayer with the idea is let her, let her know that oh god that uh that life is filled with choices and 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 something along those lines where, where there's complexity and that that one quiz doesn't mean the end of an uh, of her dreams you know right. yeah i love that example that you're choosing because as you know repeatedly we've talked so much about the young people and with the pandemic and how they are, they really need, they need us right now to be supporting. And that's the whole social connection that I was just talking about and the whole group focus and that uh, they don't tend to have the long-term perspective that we have, that life has a lot of different paths, that life has suffering, but you get through it, you know, and, and, and it's like how to navigate it. And um, 
And I, I just love the fact that you were there for her too. Yeah. Your no. compassion to help her, you know, to help her feel heard and listened to, and also to possibly see another perspective. You know, that's the one thing about faith that's important, I think, for, and in this conversation especially. I mean, Jesus, Jesus often, uh, you know, in the gospel lesson, Jesus always offers a different perspective. Just, and it might be just a little bit skewed, but some way to see the event that's, that's in front of them, the, the event that has just happened or the, the one that they just experienced, just kind of look at it from a different perspective. And that might be all that's necessary for people to, to move forward through it. Well, when you, know? you think about it, that's very compassionate. I mean, he, 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 he didn't just sort of sit, sit there and say, oh, no. All is lost, right? You know, it's hopeless. <laughs> you know? That would that would be empathy. Like, yes, you know, all is hopeless. You know, woe right? is me, woe is me. Oh, I can't believe that God did this to you. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't believe it. You're right. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I think in his way, he was very because he often would use, I, I think my impression is uh, laying on of the hands, right? Um, yeah. So there's the the compassion, right? That's an action, like Mother Teresa, yeah, shows holding people's hands, and that 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 neuro that uh, in terms of neuroscience, soothing touch like that can release oxytocin in our brain and help us to relax. And but she, a lot of her compassion, she would be there listening. And attentive, and also offering compassion. Yeah. So when, uh, so it's interesting. Let's go back, if if it's okay, just to dive into some of the neurochemistry. So in the act of compassion, there is this hormone uh, oxytocin that's released, right? I would imagine oxytocin yes. is the uh, is the hormone of connection. There's also serotonin, I would think, right? Serotonin is. I'm th I'm not sure for yeah. I'm thinking probably there is but serotonin yeah. is typically the that feel good chemical that yeah. that people are uh, sometimes low in if they're struggling with depression. Yeah. And so you know the the uh, the uh, so compassion uh in, in that this definition that Richard Davidson gave us is this idea about um empathy plus action, right? Yes. Yes. Empathy and uh, empathy plus action, mm -hmm. and uh, and the action it helps to connect us to one another, to mm -hmm. help us know that we're not alone, uh, we're not in the struggle by ourselves. Right. That can be part of it. Yes. When we're um, when we're doing uh, active, I think it's also the point too. Uh, it's important when you're giving compassion to also think of compassion for yourself too. Yeah. So sometimes it might be internal, you know, it might be, I'm not going to say during a middle of a session with a client, compassion for me, compassion for you. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to say that out loud. Um, I might be, I might be saying it internally, you know, I might be giving myself recognizing that in that moment, I need to stay in a relaxed part of my brain I can't go to the fight or flight part of my brain because there that's not going to help my client. You know, I have to stay 
I have to stay in the part of my brain. It's interesting. One of the other things, I don't think we'll have time to talk about it today. We'll have to save it for another. But I wanted to talk about the polyvagal theory because that's connected to this too in terms of when we are in our fight or flight place or we're in our freeze place. Sometimes people freeze or shut down. Or when we are in what's called our ventral vagal system, part of our brain, our nervous system, which is about social engagement. And that social engagement part is, is that same as the compassion and self-compassion. That's the part where we are going to be uh, relaxed and, and, and attentive. Um, and it's, it's more sort of um, one of the examples in, in what I read was if you think of, you know, for instance, a dog, when a dog's are very playful versus when they are attacking or anxious or afraid. You know, there's a difference in, in terms of what part of the nervous system you're activating. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the polyvagal theory is a, is a another thing. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean, I think I I remember some of this, but uh, uh, and and I'm hoping that we do have a session on this. That'll be really interesting. But the whole idea about when when I'm in a in a in a conversation with someone and they're bringing up some really deep traumatic in uh, there's, there's, there are moments that I find myself, I, I, in thinking about it, taking a deep breath to letting myself calm down almost. It's like, I'm hearing this, this thing that just drops that there, that has affected them deeply. And I'm, and I'm, as I'm there in this conversation, I, I hear it and I, I'm feeling it. And then I, I think it's almost automatic. I take, a deep breath, almost just to kind of, you know, calm yourself down. I love that. You know, one of the things that uh, um, Deb Dana, who gave the talk about the polyvagal theory, talks about is that we have our internal the nervous system that regulates our internal functioning, like heart rate, lungs, digestion. We have nervous system that regulates the outside part, you know, how we perceive the world through our senses. And then a third part is uh, our nervous systems are interacting with each other. My nervous system actor interacts with your nervous system without us even being aware of it, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and so that's where the term co-regulation comes into play, that you can actually help someone else regulate by you regulating your nervous system. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's, that's almost interesting compared, uh, you know, in, in contributes to that conversation about mirror neurons and modeling one another. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's a whole, I mean, we could unpack that. That's a really, that's, that's a really interesting one because there are certain uh, techniques and uh, that she shared that I'd love to share with everyone about how can you, how can you use that information about your nervous system to help regulate? She essentially was her, one of her overarching points is that it starts with physiology. That you should first ask where, where am I with my nervous system and look to regulate that? Because if you're not regulated, it can shape how you view the whole world. You know, you see it through the lens of fight or flight versus through the lens of your ventral uh, nervous system that's um, regulated. Yeah. 
uh, it's a lot of material. This is beautiful, uh, Sharon. Mm -hmm. um, no, this is this is ins insightful for me, especially. Uh, I know that all of us are going through, you know, where you know. It, it, I'm finding that a lot of people are, um, in my circles, uh, are are seeking ways to be in community now, in some ways to help others. Uh, I've noticed a lot more of that happening. Maybe it's because we're so alienated from one another, and we've just come through this uh, pandemic period, and we're still in parts of it, uh, parts of our country still engaged in it. Um, so, and mental uh, mental health and uh, and loneliness is 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 now a part of our normal conversation, and and so all of this this conversation helping us. Uh, I think can also help us. Yeah, yeah you know, the Surgeon General just declared that um, that our youth, the mental health of our youth, is uh, a national crisis. I think. So, yeah. yeah. So the more you know, we help as elders too, or other people in the community, and more in groups and being, and, and the more that we can understand about being there and being there for others without burdening and burning ourselves out, being aware of our own needs, as well as showing compassion for others, in addition to how we can work to um, to stay in a, a place that's going to be more helpful for ourselves and for others. So I think that's part of what, uh, what the talk today is about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I think, uh, I'm just glad that you're here to talk to and process through this. And I'm glad that you're now closer to me in Rhode Island, which is good. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing you and Patrick in person again, Sharon. It, it's yes. Well, we'll look forward to that. Hopefully, maybe we can meet up on the pickleball court. Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I've, I've been... I've, you know, I've been hearing more and more about pickleboard from you and others as well. So it's mm -hmm. going to be good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sharon. And, and God bless you. Thank you for this information. Yes. Thank you. All right. Folks, uh, another wonderful conversation. And I hope that you enjoyed it and, uh, and found that insightful. And, and, uh, and if you do, please let us know. Let us know. And, and if there's more information that you'd like to have. Let us know about that too. Uh, as is our tradition, let's end our time with a prayer. This is a prayer that uh, we're going to resurrect again. It's from uh, one that's written by Bishop Thomas Brown of Maine. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. In Jesus Christ, you traveled to towns and villages, curing every disease and illness. At your command, the sick were made well. Come to our aid now. In the midst of the global spread of the coronavirus, heal those who are sick with the virus. May they regain their strength and health through quality medical care. Heal us from our fear, which prevents nations from working together and neighbors from helping one another. Be present with those in authority who are making hard decisions. Support the medical professionals, emergency responders, counselors, and caregivers. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Join with me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, go in peace to love and serve God. Spread the light of Christ and the light of hope and joy to the world around you. Be empathetic, but also be compassionate to the people that you serve, but also to yourself. And find uh, a way to, uh, to not be burned out in this time. God bless you all. Thanks for watching. Did you know that you can join Christ Church from anywhere in the world? If you're feeling connected to what we're doing, email us today at communicate at Christchurchwesterly.org.